I don't think I have to tell you that it is expensive to be sick. A lot of the treatments that we receive, everything that goes along with getting sick, all the co-pays and haggling with insurance, it's not easy, it's not cheap to be sick. Healthcare is expensive. And maybe one of the areas where that's clearest is when we talk about care for the end of life. Studies have shown the massive amount of spending that happens toward the end of our lives. One study said that it's about $80,000 of healthcare expenses in the final year of the average life. If you go out to the three-year mark, it's closer to $150,000 in spending for that. About a quarter of all Medicare spending is for the last year of life. And those kinds of treatments are really complex, aren't they? There's a lot of things that are needed to help sustain a person's uh, care, their life, to help them uh, be pain-free. A lot of important things go on for end-of-life care. But we also know, if we're honest, there are a lot of things that we do to try to keep a body alive that just is not ready to be alive anymore. And I think sometimes, if if we're honest, we would admit that that we might think we can get out of life alive. We're not going to die. I want you to meet me in John chapter 11. This week's unit in our, in our John series, our classes studied John chapter 10. And part of that text is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep by name. In John chapter 11, we zoom in and we get a story of Jesus who knows one particular sheep by name and calls him by that name. So we come to the story of Lazarus. This takes place in Bethany, which is about two to three miles from Jerusalem. And there's a man named Lazarus. We're going to get introduced to him in a moment when we read the text. But he lives with two sisters, Mary and Martha. So uh, they're, they're in some sort of familial, familial relationship, living together. Not sure exactly what the arrangement looks like here. We're going to meet a man named Lazarus who is quite sick and who has a lot of people who care about him, who want him to get well. So meet me in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, so the sisters, that's Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus hears this, and Jesus' response is to say, this sickness won't end in death. It's interesting, given what happens in this story. He says that through whatever is about to happen, that the Father and the Son will be glorified. Then he does an interesting thing. He just stays there. So people have come to him with an urgent need. The one you love is sick, and he just hangs around. And people are thinking, why isn't this urgent to you? Like if you got word that someone you cared for was critically ill, you would be making plans to get there. So they're looking at Jesus going, hey, might want to get on this. But he just hangs around. And then when he does decide to go the region of Judea, his disciples object because every time he goes there, things go wrong. He gets in trouble. People are after him. So they're saying, don't go over there. 
it's bad news in that region, just stay here. So Jesus has got this mix of pressures. Some people wanting him to go immediately. His disciples don't want him to go at all. And they say to him, a short while ago, when, if you go there, the Jews tried to stone you. You're going to go back? There's trouble there. Then you skip down to verse 11, and here's what Jesus says. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I think they think he just needs a good nap. That's what they think. Just get plenty of fluids and take a nap and it'll be better tomorrow. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So the progression of Lazarus here, he went from sick at the beginning. Now he's asleep, as Jesus says. And he's trying to convey this to his disciples. And if you've been paying attention through the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus often uses words or concepts on one level and people misunderstand him when he talks about bread or water. So now he talks about uh, sleep, and he has to just tell them plainly, okay, I guess you're not getting the message. He's dead. So he has a, pl- he has a, a, um, a plan to go and see him, and Thomas, I don't know what to make of his response here. I don't know if he's just being faithful unto death or if he's pessimistic. He seems to me to be kind of like the Eeyore of this story, right? <laughs> Lazarus is dead, Jesus will get killed, we might as well go get killed too. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. There on the fourth, he gets there and, found, and finds that he's been in the tomb for four days. And in Jewish thought, the soul leaves the body on about the third day. In other words, Lazarus at this point is good and dead. He's been dead long enough. His soul is gone. And I, I'm trying to do the math and figure out exactly if he's been in there four days and it takes Jesus two or three days to get there. I don't know at what point Lazarus has actually died and what they think Jesus could have done. But I'm not working out the math probably very well on this. I'm sure there's more to it. Verse 21, Martha tells Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the grief in her voice? Maybe even the frustration? If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. She believes that if Jesus had been there, he would have Kept him from dying, raised him immediately. I don't know, but that phrase is key in this text. As Martha says, if you had been here, this would not have happened. I remember in the early part of my ministry career, sitting in the church office, and and one of our members called. She she was calling on behalf of her neighbor. Her neighbor was a middle-aged businesswoman who was living at home, and her aging father was living with her. And this woman had gone on a trip for a few days and had come home. And she had discovered that her father had died 
at the home while she was gone. And she was in deep grief and shock at the moment. So our member, who was her friend, said, can you send some people to come be with her? She's just come home and discovered this. And she doesn't know what to do. There's ambulances and paramedics. So a couple of us 20-something ministers with all our vast pastoral experience head out to the house. And it's evident pretty quickly, I'll say this gently, it's evident that he had been dead several days. And she's sitting out on the front lawn under a tree, and the paramedics are saying, you need to get her to move. You need to get her to move across the street. She needs to get out of this scene. But she's in shock, literally in shock. So we sit down next to her, and this is all she's saying over and over again. If I had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If I had been here, this wouldn't have happened. She was just in deep shock, and all the guilt is hitting her all at once. I felt so bad for her. We know that feeling. If I had been here, if someone had been here, surely someone could have done something about this. That is the grief that Martha is feeling. But she keeps going, and in the midst of her grief, she makes this confession. She says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Martha here demonstrates an incredible belief in what in this time was sort of this emerging understanding of resurrection. But Jesus has to modify it. No, 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 not at the end. I know that's what you think, and you might be correct in other settings, but I'm telling you something different is about to have happen here. And then Martha confesses something that so many people in the story so far have not gotten correct. She says that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Go back in John and see how many people, including Jesus' disciples, don't get this. She understands Then Mary shows up, and Mary says the same thing in verse 32. She falls at Jesus' feet, and she says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I've thought about what exactly are Mary and Martha saying here. They somehow believe that Jesus' presence would have kept Lazarus from dying. So that's a remarkable statement of faith about who they believe Jesus is, isn't it? So I don't know, are they frustrated at Jesus' delay? Like if you had gotten here sooner? Or are they just grieving the fact that he wasn't there and speaking with a tiny bit of hope that maybe his presence now will still make a difference? So Jesus goes to the tomb. He's accompanied by all the mourners. And now we get to one of the most famous verses in Scripture. You know it if you've ever had to memorize a Scripture and got to pick which one. Jesus wept. It's famous and it's kind of funny because it's short. But it demonstrates something remarkable about Jesus, doesn't it? It's interesting because Jesus... We know what's about to happen in this story. Jesus surely knows what he's about to do. No one else does in the story, but he knows. 
and he still weeps. He weeps because all these people are so sad for what's happened to the one they love, Lazarus. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, feels this grief and he weeps. And some people who, are, who have been around and seen Jesus, they ask a very understandable question in verse 37. They say, well, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I think that's a fair question, don't you? We've seen what he did. He's demonstrating some power. Can't he do something about this one whom he loves? He did these other things. Why does he do nothing here? It's another understandable line of thinking. So we have that line of thinking sometimes too. We identify with these people. So Jesus says, move away the stone. And Martha says, I don't think that's a good idea. The smell will be so bad after four days. Now we get to the action of this story. Verse 41, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. Think about what Jesus says in his prayer to the Father. In in that prayer, he's not making any requests. He just says, I know that you hear me. It makes me wonder what Jesus has been up to since he first heard about Lazarus' illness. I think he must have been in constant prayer with God to set up what's about to happen. Because he doesn't even ask for anything at this point. He just says, I know that you hear me. And at this point, when Lazarus comes out, the onlookers see a dead man wrapped in his burial cloths walking out of the tomb. And the text says that they see and then they believe. The Lazarus story is one of our first indications of what is in store for us as followers of Jesus. And here's the indication, that the last word is life. The last word is always life. And it is hard to believe that sometimes because we look around and we see a lot of suffering and we see a lot of death. We look in other regions of the world right now and we see a lot of suffering. And we wonder how the last word is life. We look at our own suffering or the suffering of a loved one and we think, how is the last word life? We think of our own mortality. We look at all the death around us and we might ask like Ezekiel, can these bones live again? Easy to look at all the wreckage around us. And ask some of the questions that the people in this story ask. There are a few that they ask that I think we resonate with. One is all the if-onlys. The if-onlys. That's what the sisters were saying, wasn't it? If only you had been here, this would not have happened. If only you'd been around, something would change here. And we have a lot of if-onlys, don't we? 
If only I'd gone to see a different doctor. If only I'd gotten a second opinion. If only I had paid attention to these symptoms earlier. If only I had the money for better care. If only that insurance claim hadn't been denied. This wouldn't be happening. My health would be better. We know what it's like to ask those questions. If only. And almost to be disappointed in God because of those if-onlys. One writer, Rodney Reeves, imagines Mary and Martha saying this to Jesus. You are faithful, but you let me down. I know that you'll never forsake us, but you left us hanging. You're good, but this is bad. You love us, but you weren't here to help us. I know that you are life, but my brother is dead. And all of the theology in our heads does not match the lived reality that we're experiencing. If only you'd been here, this could be different. Why isn't this different? The other thing that they ask is the couldn't he. You know, he did this stuff. Why couldn't he do this other? Couldn't he have done this? Couldn't he have prevented this? Couldn't he have healed me? Couldn't he, have he, couldn't he have alerted me that something was going wrong? I think they're fair questions. The people in this story asked them. Generations before us have asked these questions. We can keep asking the questions. But I don't know if you found this. I never come to satisfactory conclusions with those questions. I ask them. I probably will keep asking them. But what if we asked a better question? I think this story helps us ask a better question. It's, it's deeper. We might not think of it immediately, but the, the question from this story, I think, is what does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And does that give us any hope at all? What we see Jesus do with Lazarus is where we put our hope, friends. So the resurrection and the life stands outside of a tomb and calls the dead back to life. He uses his voice, he speaks, and the dead emerge. That's what Paul tells us in one of his letters. That at the end, the Lord will return and with his voice call the dead out of their graves. Because the last word is life. Our goal then is not to avoid death. It's not to try to get out of life alive. And I know that many of us are facing this. There are some names on my heart right now that are worried about this. The diagnosis is not great. And the treatments, well, we're not certain about them. And the numbers just keep coming back and they're not what we want them to be. And during all that, we are praying fervently for healing and health. But there's more to the story than this. And no matter what the numbers come back, no matter what the diagnosis is, we don't despair. Because we have a different kind of hope. I think if you asked most people how they want to die, they would say something like, suddenly, or in my sleep, I don't want to know that I'm dying. Would that be you? That's how most of us are. That's how I would answer that question. 
I want to close by telling you about a, a prayer. It's in the Book of Common Prayer. It's called the Great Litany. Litany is just a prayer for worship. And the Great Litany was what we think may be the first prayer composed natively in English to be read in worship, about the 1500s. And later on, it got named the Great Litany to distinguish it from other litanies. And I want to read you a line from this prayer that has struck me ever since I heard someone talk about it in a podcast several years ago. The prayer asks this, From all oppression, conspiracy, and rebellion, from violence, battle, and murder, and from dying suddenly and unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. Now, I'm struck by several things in this prayer. I'm struck by the concepts that still seem to be relevant, like oppression and conspiracy and violence and battle and murder. But I'm particularly struck by the last passage that asks God to deliver us from dying suddenly and unprepared. I think they're asking that because they wanted time to prepare for their death. So we might ask, what's the difference between their desires and ours? I think it's because we fear death. They feared God. And they wanted time to prepare because they knew that death was not the last word that life is. And so we can ask and we can say to God, if you had been here, this wouldn't be happening to me. When we ask that, we find that not only was God present, he was there before us. He's not absent. He got to our suffering before we did. He's already been active. He gets there before us. He feels. He weeps. But he tells us that death is not the final word. The last word is standing in front of us. And the last word with his voice calls the dead out of their graves. This last word is a man who took on flesh. We could see him. We could feel him. He has a voice. And he's standing there in the midst of your suffering and your worrying. And he says to you, like he said to the sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. So I want to leave you with these words that Jesus said earlier in John. He said, there's a time coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. I hope you believe that. I hope your hope is there. There's a time coming when we will all hear his voice because the last word is life. Let's stand as we sing.